on his heart. And if last week we were zooming in on Jesus' heart, now we're going to take a step back and zoom out. And now we're going to see um, we're going to see the bigger picture and zoom out on something that Matthew did not want to miss. If you weren't here last week, we just decided to slow down and to remember and ask ourselves, God, I don't want to miss anything in your word. And so we just really slowed down and took a, a, a real hard look at the first four verses of Matthew 8. And I think that today, that there is also something that he doesn't want us to miss. So let's go ahead and dive in uh, to verse 5. And uh, thank you so much for Stacy who had read it. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and, I, and, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Last week, we saw Jesus' deep, compassionate heart that he would even touch someone who is dead and uh, considered dead by the world and even cursed by God. And just coming after the heels of that, you know, the next visitor probably initiated a lot of controversy there. A centurion approaches Jesus on behalf of his suffering servant, and he asks him, or actually he doesn't ask him, the obvious both he and his servant were most likely Gentiles. They were mostly contracted, uh, contracted into the military service from somewhere outside like Lebanon or uh, Syria. And you can imagine that the disciples, far from welcoming and looking so forward to seeing the centurion as so many of us do here on Sundays, that we look forward to seeing our hope body. I'm sure that the disciples were cringing, that the, the Jewish people in the crowd were tensing and there was a lot of murmuring going around in the crowd because here was this centurion who was not a friendly visitor. This was a potential threat to their religious tradition and to their social order and to their holiness. They were probably thinking, who does he think he is approaching a Jew? Does he know now that patronizing with Gentiles is disgustingly shameful and would make any self-respecting Jew unclean. These Gentiles were seen as revulsion, as the public enemies of God, and literally the enemies of the Jewish people. So to think of Gentiles being recipients of the love of God, and if you're new to this whole Gentile-Jew terminology, it's basically everybody who is not Jews, right? To think that And to sing this song that we were just singing, oh, praise the name of the Lord Most High, for it to come out of Gentiles' mouths was completely unthinkable. Jewish culture canceled out 
any other culture that was not theirs, including that of the centurion. And I think the centurion knew that, which is probably why we get to the text where it is, and that's why he doesn't even ask Jesus the obvious and the pressing question to heal. He doesn't even ask. If you look at the text, it just says that he just states, hey, that my, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed at home, and he's suffering terribly. The centurion is just so, so humble. He, he is, knows he is not entitled to anything, and so he literally comes to the feet of Jesus And he just gives the story, and he trusts Jesus that he has compassion on him and his servant. Perhaps he had heard that Jesus had touched a leper and even uh, healed him. Maybe he thought the same would would happen with an ethnic outcast just like him. So when Jesus offers to come to the servant, this would be really surprising because uh, of, 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 the, of the social pecking order of the times, that usually you would never ever do that. You would never even walk inside of a home of a Gentile for fear of being made unclean. Jesus was made, um, was willing to be more than just inconvenience. This is not just a, a, an occasion where Jesus was like, okay, I'll take a look at my watch, I'll take a look at my schedule, and I'll, I'll inconvenience myself to you. He knew what he was walking into. Jesus said, I will go out into, the Jewish, uh, into a non-Jewish, a Gentile home. And he knew that he was ready to cross that racial boundary in which you just don't go. Here is the depths of the heart of God seen in Jesus. And I cry, I just pray, do not miss this. This is a picture of where God's love extends past where human love ends. To the Jew, their ethnic identity led to a moral superiority and made them feel that they could just cancel culture where they could just stay in their own social circles and and they can just... Just go ahead and just hang with Jews and completely live a bubble inside their Jewish circles. But the heart of God is radically different. It is not content until it reaches every culture. It devastates our ethnic idolatry. This ethnic idolatry that speaks to us, that suddenly convinces us to say that our ethnic idolatry Uh, or our ethnic identity, is better than everyone else. It goes against that and grates against that. And because it grates against that, it makes us to really question the fact, are we really better than anybody else? Well, if that's the case, then I don't need to go and talk to them. It may be the person on, on the opposite spectrum politically that you most hotly disagree with. It may be uh, a particular ethnic group. It may be somebody of a a particular uh, agenda or background or social context. It could be anybody who we think that we know better and we are better than them. And the love of God that we see here obliterates and shatters it all so that it's this, this racial or ethnic superiority Yordi is just replaced by a kingdom humility. One that says, I was that outsider like the centurion. I was an enemy. I was unworthy of the kingdom of God. But Jesus did not let ethnic boundaries deter 
himself from loving me. And with the same love, he loves every ethnic group on the planet. There's no ethnicity that he would not say, I will go and heal them. So isn't it crazy that this centurion, when you look at this, he gets Jesus' attention and also Jesus listens to him, but then he does what? He actually automatically refuses Jesus' offer. (laughs) Don't you love that? That he is not even worthy of him coming under his roof. Can you imagine that? You have the golden opportunity. You are looking the king of kings in the face. And Jesus is staring right at you. He said, I'm coming over to your place. I'm going to heal your servant who is paralyzed and is, and is probably overcome by this, um, this paralysis. And I'm going to do a work of God that you probably wouldn't even believe before your very eyes. The centurion didn't even have a doubt in his heart that Jesus could heal. He just trusts that Jesus just needs to say the word. How does a Gentile centurion who has never met Jesus face to face, probably has only heard some accounts of him, ever get to that point? Well, it's actually because of his background, because of his, 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 his um, position. It was where God had placed them that he too was a man of authority, that he commands his soldiers to go, and they go, and, and to come, and, and they come, and to do this, and they do that. He knew what delegated authority looks like, and as a formal uh, servant of Caesar, he was able to speak on behalf of the emperor with the same authority. And so his people obeyed, because if you disobeyed, it wouldn't just be disobeying the centurion, it would be disobeying and defying the emperor. And in the same way, he knew that when Jesus spoke, the same God that had created the world with just a word, that God spoke. And to listen to Jesus is to listen to God's authority. When Jesus hears this response, no longer it's the crowd marveling, It's Jesus marveling. (laughs) What we see, we don't see Jesus marveling very often. The only time that we see in Scripture was Jesus' marveling of his hometown's unbelief. You can check that out in Mark chapter 6, verse 6. But here we get Jesus marveling at belief. And listen to Jesus, what he says. Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of, kingdom, of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Here we get to the very, very, very heart of the gospel. And the gospel is not just for insiders. It's not for everybody who has everything together. It's not with the right racial or ethnic breed. It is not the the one. It is for the outsiders. And Jesus was rebuking prideful Israel, those who knew God, his mighty acts, who knew its religious system inside and out, but in the end did not know God like this Gentile outsider. 
Then he delivers a very important statement in which people from all over the world, many will recline at the table in the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is saying to us here and saying to the centurion, the kingdom of God were made for people just like you. You and I were outsiders. I was an outsider. God's heart is bigger and grander than you can ever, ever imagine. And he's inviting for all people from all peoples and all nations to join in. But the warning is that there are, there are those who are from the sons of God. They will be thrown into hell in a place of, the Bible describes it as the weeping and gnashing of teeth. Literally, that the pain there is so bad that you are grinding and clenching your teeth so that blood spills out of your mouth. It is that horrid and horrific What a sobering reality that the closest to the kingdom would be cast out because of their lack of faith in Jesus to be separated from the living God forever and ever and ever. We never ever want to speak of hell in a light manner. It is a weighty, weighty subject. And if anything, it should bring tears to our eyes when we think about the sobering reality. Jesus spoke of heaven, but he also spoke of hell, which is a place in which it is completely absent from the living God, from the love of God, and from the heart of God. And that's the people, that's the place in which the Jewish people that Jesus said, the Jewish people would end up going. If you were a Jewish person listening to this, you would be absolutely incensed. If there are people like me, exed out of the kingdom, are you kidding me? How could this attitude, it was, how can this be true? I was born into the, the religious society. I was born a Jew. I grew up memorizing the Talmud. I grew up reciting the religious traditions. I grew up with Passover. I grew up with Seder. I did all these things. And it was exactly this attitude that Jesus was confronting. The heart of the gospel, then, is not for the entitled, but for those who see their desperate need for Jesus. For God to include people that were to be perceived outside of the kingdom of God as the ones who would be dining with him at the table was to completely put a slap to the face to the religious leaders and to the Jewish people at the time and would flip around the religious system. It would literally overturn the idea that salvation was only granted on the basis of one's ethnic identity. Rather, the kingdom was offered to all, starting with his just Gentile centurion and, and his servant. And Jesus was pointing to the heart of the gospel that the kingdom has a house key for outsiders. God has been after all the nations from the very beginning, from the very beginning of Adam and Eve to even Abram. We were just reading in our family devotions in um, a book called Long Story Short uh, by Marty Mikowski, and just a really powerful book. It's our second time through it, and we uh, we've, were just right there discussing Abram. 
and how he was just one of those far-off descendants that was going to bless the nations. And, and then we talked about how God was saving um, Abram to, to bless him, that he wasn't able to have a, a child by, um, by, any, by his wife for like several like decades. And yet God said, look to the stars in the sky, so there your descendants would be. And see, God was, was causing Abram to, to wait and, and to wait and to wait and to be patient because he was going to use one of his descendants to save the world. And that was the relative. And that was, that long, long uh, descendant was Jesus. And then the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, if you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12 through 13. It talks a little bit about how Jesus um, would be the ones that would bring outsiders into insiders. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Inclusion for the, those who are outside has always been the heart of the gospel. And I should know that because the Lord um, has allowed me to be an outsider and he has allowed me to come in to his kingdom. Back in the days, there was no gospel witness, and that's where missionaries like Hudson Taylor would come into um, the, the country where my ancestry is from. And then he would not don the Western clothing, but he would uh, dress himself in traditional garb, in Chinese garb, and he would learn the language just by peering out over the walls and, and, and learning from people who can speak Chinese. And he was able to minister the gospel and set up missionary centers all across um, China. And so, and, and after that, that is when the, that's when the history shifts, and then that's when uh, we were able to make our passageway to the States, and our family was able to go um, to the States three generations ago. And we landed in Chinatown, and that's where my mom's side got uh, to know um, the gospel through the faith of missionaries who started a church in downtown Chinatown in, in Los Angeles. And uh, they decided to go out in faith and, and knock on the, uh, on the doors of the apartments and um, of the places around there. And um, that's where my mom became a believer and got baptized, one of the first to get baptized in uh, that church uh, that, we grew, that uh, she grew up in back in the times of, of Chinatown. And uh, I look at it fondly because... Um, that pastor that went out into the community was started by uh, Western missionaries, but also together with Chinese folks that would start that church. And that church became a blessing to the, the community there. And not only that, the pastor that led out those times in the departments um, to go out and witness and share the gospel. You know where he was from? He was from Houston, Texas. Um, and so it, it was really awesome that now God has led me here 
um, and that I would be surrendered to whatever the Lord wants us to do, our family to do in, in our life here in Houston and wherever he calls me. But the bottom point, the bottom line was that I was an outsider. We were all outsiders to the covenant and to the promise of the gospel until somebody crossed the racial, ethnic, social barriers and was able to reel us and to share with us the gospel message. And this is what is saying here. It should, it should sober us and remind us that we would not be like the insiders of their day that were the ones deceived. And the questions we need to ask ourselves is this, is that are we like the centurion who understands that we are an outsider to the covenant of grace until God renewed us, changed us, showed himself to us by his grace and sent people into our path so that we can hear the gospel and we can turn to Christ and to be saved. Are we like that, trusting wholly in Jesus Christ's authority? Are we like ethnic Israel, which we will be cast out to the outer darkness because we're just trusting in our own churchiness, in our own religiosity to save us? And also, are we picking and choosing who we should think be a part of the kingdom where we be the ones that will be excluded from the table of Christ? When we believe that the gospel is only for those who look like us or talk like us or think like us, are we really as deceived as Israel was? How often we look down at our ethnic minority or the LGBT couple next door or the person on the extreme opposite ends politically or the homeless or the poor and we turn a blind eye or worse, reject them as people not worth sharing our lives and not sharing the gospel with. And so church, we need to take an honest look at our own hearts and make sure that we are not the ones that Jesus is speaking to you about here. Jesus speaks to the centurion and says, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. See, there's no question of God's authority in healing. In fact, the servant's healing is actually kind of like an afterthought here in this text. While healing is so important, and we don't want to um, underscore the fact that it was done in a moment. We want to pray for the sick. We want to pray for those who are terminally ill. We want to pray for those who are affected with COVID. But we have to understand that healing, physical healing, is not the main thing that Matthew wants to get here. Jesus is giving us a picture through this word that Jesus bars great, far greater authority than we all take him for. Jesus does not need to touch someone to make them well. He does not need to be in range for the sick to bring them healing because that's easy to God. What he's able to do is to heal the greatest human malady of them all, and that is sin. When sin entered the human race through Adam, it has wreaked a havoc in this world and blinds us to the God who has made us for him and our hell-bent drive towards sin ha has blinded us and built a huge chasm uh, between us and the God who has made us for him. And so we lived in the kingdom of darkness and we were dead and destined to be shut out from God forever. But we were made for somebody from somebody. That was the living God who was wooing the world to know him and to worship him. And that's why in this love story he sent Jesus Christ. The greatest outsider inside this world 
to the Son of God into this world as a human baby 2,000 years ago. The kingdom of God dawned in this dark world and he willingly took upon human weakness, human temptation without ever sinning. He lived in complete obedience to his father without ever giving his life to sin. Then he gave his life on a cross to take away God's wrath against sin and then rose again three days later, overturning sin's judgments of death and defeated Satan. And then God raised him to life and then gave him life to a dead world for all those who had put their faith and their trust into him like the centurion. We who are outsiders are given the greatest gift of a lifetime to be able to dine at the table of a king. And you know, we, you look back and, and I know this past week has been just been... Um, just, uh, just been so horrific, some of the things that we have seen. And, um, but I remember we were doing family devotions, and the question I posed with, if the Christmas story of Jesus' birth is a guarantee that every one of God's promise will be fulfilled, even to Abram, which promise would you even look forward to? And my wife said this, that no more tears or pain or suffering. And I was just blown away by that thought. One day, this world will not even need physical healing. One day, this world will no need ethnic, not need ethnic healing. One day, it will not need national healing, given the violence on our capital this past week. On the day the King of Kings appears, the world will undergo a massive transformation of spiritual, uh, cosmic, and physical and emotional healing. And so in this time of death and destruction and decisiveness, let's comfort each other with this fact, that Jesus Christ has come because he will bring a greater day, a greater day in which the kingdom of God will bring a greater healing, and that will be for the entire universe. And as a glimpse of the centurion's faith, let it be a foretaste of the Father's heart for the nations, that he desires, his kingdom heart is that he would like to see all peoples, even the excluded and the outsider join in at his table. And so as we close hope, I just want to encourage you and ask you, do your hearts burn for this, to be totally surrendered to the kingdom, to this picture that all peoples and all nations will worship him and dine at his table. God wants me to see above all else his heart for us but also he wants us to see his heart for the world. And it should just really impress us upon the burden of Matthew 28, 18 through 20 to make disciples of all nations. And this must be a clarion call for us to pursue God's heart for the kingdom. And so I want to encourage you, Hope family, as you you pray, as you fast, may this time be a time of heart searching, but also a time to look into God's heart and to see his heart for the outsiders of this world, to pray and to fervently pray for the unborn, for the, un, the homeless, for the sick, for the mentally ill, the, the, the rebellious child, and the most hell-bound sinner alike to see God's heart in the gospel. I want to invite you to stand and uh, pray that God will just do great work in our hearts as we worship him. Um, And also as we invite you to be able to pray. We're going to pray as we usually do. 
And uh, I want to invite you to stand and as the music and prayer team does come forward. And we just ask that one man not pray with one woman alone together. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much for allowing us to see your heart in Scripture. Thank you for allowing us to see how great of a God you are. That you are not a God who is just about the religious insider, but you are a God who is welcoming all peoples of all tribes and nations to your banqueting table. God, help us in the events of this past week of plane crashes and violence and uprising. God, help us to see that, Lord, as much as your heart desires physically healing, you are a God who will bring full and eternal healing when you come and establish your kingdom. So we worship you and praise you and we glorify you in this time and we look forward to Jesus that you will continue to be worshiped and glorified as we fix our eyes to you. Lord, help us not to miss this, that Lord, your heart is so much grander and so much bigger and so much more glorious and help us to see your heart as we long for that day to happen and as Lord, you use us for your glory. In Jesus' name.